I fathered my son outside of my marriage. And, um, and I'm pastor of the church, been preaching all of these years. Why am I gonna tell all of this? <laughs> and, but, but it's for something that's bigger than me. Ladies and gents, thanks so much for uh, being with us here on the Run the Race podcast. I'm Jason Dennis, your host on a weekly basis as we talk about uh, you know some sometimes some deep topics related to faith and fitness. And uh, Father's Day is uh, just a few days away as this uh, episode comes out. And uh, you know that's one of uh, my most important roles in my entire life as dad to my two kids, Olivia, who's 20, and my son Zach, who's 19 years old. I'm uh, just so proud of both of them and uh, just so blessed by God to be their dad, that opportunity, uh, such an important responsibility uh, that fathers have uh, to be able to, to care for others. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm glad there's a, a day to, to celebrate uh, our dads. And uh, speaking of fatherhood, I'm talking to a father on this episode of Run the Race, um, but uh, kind of a unique story for sure. Uh, he is a pastor that's uh, been in ministry for nearly 40 years, Pastor James Allen, who's actually coming up out with a new tell-all behind-the-curtains book that comes out this holiday weekend, Father's Day. Uh, It's called The Hypocrisy of the Church. And if that uh, name of that book sounds explosive, it is. It's meant to be like that. It's about uh, taking off the mask. So uh, this is a man, uh, again, who had been in ministry for nearly four decades, and uh, he's telling the real-life story of being a prominent pastor but surviving uh, what he calls brutal and harsh treatment, the hypocrisy of the church because he, uh, as a married man, had a child, a son out of wedlock. uh, And he says, you know, there was not really the compassion or forgiveness that you would hope that Christians or the church would have. And, um, you know, in terms of redemption, we talk about kind of how things stand now because he is still the pastor of his church where he's been for uh, several decades. And, uh, you know, you hear sometimes slogans and different things, like some churches will say, no perfect people allowed. And, uh, you know, do do we really believe that? Because in all honesty, we're all sinners. The only perfect person ever was Jesus, right? And so, um, you know, sometimes as Christians, we act like we're we're better than other people, or, you know, we say things behind people's back, or, you know, we pretend like we are, you know, kind of clean and pure and and don't sin very much or don't do, quote, big sins. But um, throughout his book that comes out this weekend, he uses lots of scripture to back up his story and, and talk about hi- hypocrisy because, you know, a lot of people have been hurt by the church and maybe don't go to church now because they say, you know, Christians or some people in the church are hypocrites. Now, not all, you know, there's a, you know, uh, most hopefully Christians are very compassionate and loving and forgiving and uh, not judgmental, but uh, it happens. And so he, he uses his book and our conversation today on the podcast to what he says is expose, you know, how maybe a lot of people in the church hide behind that mask, acting as though, you know, they don't do much wrong or any wrong. And uh, the church really is supposed to be a, a safe place where if you're a wrongdoer, you can you know, have that protection, have a chance at uh, restoration, at forgiveness. And uh, so uh, he, he wants to show that you know love is when someone is doing right, that's not just love. A true test of the depth of your love, he says, is when you can show love and not abandon someone, even when they do wrong. That speaks volume to the depth and breadth of love. And it's so important here, what, what he says and what I'm saying is that we're not uh, kind of condoning sin. We're not saying, hey, you have permission to sin whatever you want, and then, you know, we're not going to judge you, and you can kind of, you know, live your life. Because there are consequences to sin. Like with him, um, he had... Uh, repair his marriage and re- repair relationships in the church. And he chose his son. He chose to be a father to his son that he had out of wedlock, who's now five and a half years old. So Pastor James Allen, again, uh, he has, um, you know, he's from Mobile, Alabama originally, but now has been serving in ministry here in Columbus, Georgia, just south of Atlanta for almost four decades. Uh, he was in the Army and airborne uh, briefly as well. In 1991, after leaving the Army, he was called to serve as the senior pastor of Macedonia Baptist Church in Columbus. At the age of 23, he was the youngest pastor to serve in the history of the 80-year-old church. 
And uh, then shortly after that, in 1998, God provided him a vision for Pastor Allen to organize the Macedonia Christian Ministries that, um, and now to this day, has is, is become a thriving and successful ministry. And again, he just coming out with his first and new book that he authored, along with contributing author Pastor Clint Walker, called The Hypocrisy of the Church. He explains his story and what that hypocrisy is and, and what we can do about it as Christians in our conversation. Pastor James Allen, thank you so yes, much sir. for uh, joining us. We appreciate it. I know uh, a new book is coming out, uh, yes. Father's Day weekend. So we're going to talk about, you know, fatherhood. You have kids different ages, obviously, and going to talk about faith and uh, the hypocrisy of the church and just the challenges <clears throat> with like, you know, is is different sin different than <clears throat> others? And uh, just the, the different parts of, of, you know, where does um, sin come from? And, and also, you know, people that are, there are a lot of people that may be listening that have been hurt or turned off by the church. Sure. Uh, and you've been a pastor for, uh, you know, four decades. Um, so, uh, first of all, um, you know, you, the book, The Hypocrisy of the Church, I want to get into that some and why you decided to write it. But first of all, kind of uh, tell me your story about um, kind of where this all came to a head, because I know you, you have a son now, James yes. Uh, yes. Jr., who is um, five and a half years old. We, mm-hmm. The half is important. Um, how did that all come about in terms of, did that obviously big shift for you in your ministry? Well, uh, first of all, I have to say James Jr. We, we said we can never call him James okay. Jr., but we, we use the designation of the second. Oh, that's right. Uh, and I'm sorry, this is off topic. Uh, you know, a father gives his son his name yes. because he wants that name to live on. And uh, I've uh, found out all of my family members and others when they name the children, uh, given the designation Junior, and that becomes their name. Like if you notice household, they call him Junior. Hey, Junior. Hey, Junior. And you never hear that name called. <laughs> so I said, my son, I want them to call him James Allen. Don't call him Junior. So he's James II. And uh, he often asks me, uh, uh, no, I'm James the first. He uses second. So. <laughs> That's right. And I'm so, the most important yeah. here. But so uh, nearly 40, 40 years in ministry, yeah. and um, the book itself is a product uh, not just of uh, my son and his birth and the circumstances surrounding that, but it's, it's really from an observation throughout those 40, near 40 years of ministry. But it crystallized when when my son was born the reaction and the response of the church and so so had it not been for the birth of my son is not saying this book would not have been written but it had to be written because it got up close and personal to me in terms of what i see as the hypocrisy of the church Um, i fathered my son outside of my marriage and um, and i'm the pastor of the church been preaching all of these years and so how will the church deal with that and so the book itself is all about um, how the church respond to sin sinners wrongdoers because that's critical because how the church respond to people who sin who who engage in wrongdoing is going to determine the plight of many people and it has been a response from my observation that has been in many cases brutal harsh and totally antithetical to the teachings and the example that Christ set and so when you in fact you look at the tension of Christ all of the challenges he had with the religious community the church um, it really came down to how he treated sinners how he treated wrongdoers. It was so different from the way the religious community treated him. Mm-hmm. And they were always at odds with him. He was at Simon the Pharisee's uh, house for, for a banquet. And this, this sinner shows up. She was, a, she was a harlot. And she started crying and her tears on his feet. Uh, and she started kissing his feet, drying them with her hair. She used some oil alabaster oil and she anointed him and, and and the preachers the church the pharisee the religious person said now if he was a prophet he would have known what kind of woman she was 
She's a sinner. In fact, she's a, she's a harlot and she's kissing all on him. And Jesus, he thought it, but Jesus knew what he was thinking. And Jesus said this. He said, you know, Simon, I got a problem with you. Now, isn't that ironic? The harlot, the sinner, I don't have a problem with her. He said, my problem is with you. He said, I came in your house. You didn't offer me water. He says, you didn't offer me a kiss. He says, since I've been here, this woman has not ceased from kissing my feet, crying, and the work that she, see, we talk about doing the work of Christ, serving the body of Christ. This woman was serving the literal body of Christ and all the church Simon was doing was criticizing. And so he treated sinners and wrongdoers doors so different from the church. And that was the tension. You know, he's like, you know, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to go eat with you. And they said, what? They said, you're going to go eat with a sinner. And so all of the tension was all about how he responded to sinners and wrongdoers. Even his first cousin, John the Baptist, when he was in prison, he said, listen, I'm, I'm about to lose my life. And, I'm, and he was a hard preacher. When they would come to him to be baptized, he said, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? <laughs> you know, you vipers, as he was one of those fire and brimstone preachers. And Jesus comes along and he hear about you eating with sinners, you hanging out with them. And he said, are you the one or should we look for another? And so that set us up for the point I want to make that I'm making in the book. Are we really treating sinners wrongdoers in a way that align with the way Jesus taught us. And my observation, not just from a person from the outside, but nearly 40 years serving in the highest levels of leadership in the church, is that the way we treat sinners, people who do wrong, is so, so antithetical to Christ. And not only is it, is it antithetical, but it's full of hypocrisy. You, when you do wrong, we, we talked about in the book and we put it up front, we put it in the middle, we put it in the end, we don't glorify sin, we're not condoning sin, we're not encouraging sin, not giving you permission, not giving you permission to sin. And it was very important that throughout the book we constantly make that statement. But what we do is that we want to address and acknowledge the reality of sin. Is that sin is a reality and it's not just in the world, but it's in the church. And when you make people feel as though they're bad people because they did wrong, it's leaving them in a sense of hopelessness as though I'm not in right standing with God when when that's not truly the case. And so now I feel as though I'm not like the rest of the people in the church because I do wrong. But if we remove these masks of hypocrisy, where all of this play acting, what the Greeks, the word hypocrisy comes from, uh, that person will see, well, you know what? They got challenges, too they engage in wrongdoing too. And so that's what we have to reconcile. And so what I want to do is to awaken the consciousness of the church regarding the harm that hypocrisy is doing. It's driving some good people away from the church when they could be serving the church and helping to advance the church. I believe this, that the church is still the best hope for a a lost world that we're living in, but, but not what we are morphing ourselves into, this judgmental, this hypocritical uh, approach to people who sin and do wrong. And we, it's, it's fun. It's a fun read, the hypocrisy of the church. And, and it makes you think, it, I make an argument. And uh, I, I took this informed argument course uh, at Chattahoochee Valley Community College, uh, one of the courses. And the first thing that I said, argument, what I want to sit around and do some arguing. Uh, and so the argument is this, it's, I'm not yelling, we're not, we're not fighting, but it's, it's making, making my case. 
And all I want when I argue with you, when I make an argument, all I want is consideration for what I'm saying. That's what attorneys do when they go in court. They argue. They argue their case. Yeah. They may go. And the only thing I want is, is your honor, is consideration. This is the argument I'm making. And, and I ask the church, don't be afraid of it. Don't don't let the title, the hypocrisy of the church. Oh, my God, the hypocrisy of the church. I sense some apprehension, some nervousness. No, you know, you're not talking to a hater of the church. I love the church. I've spent my entire life in the church. And that's why I wrote the book, because if we don't deal with the hypocrisy of the church, how it's harming people. I talk about good people that I've met that has nothing to do that who have nothing to do with the church. Amazing people. I talk about a dear friend of mine, uh, Danny Holly. Uh, he's a construction guy. You can ride around Columbus and you see all of his signs up. He's building these amazing uh, edifices and facilities and buildings. And I met him when our church built our preschool. Uh, he wasn't attending one's church and, and we just talked. Uh, we didn't talk about speaking in tongues and all that other stuff, but we talk about the work, the work that the minister is trying to do in an area uh, on the south side that that is is economically challenged and and he listened to the story and and just through listen not not beating him upside his head with a bible uh he and his family came they became a part of our ministry i baptized him his wife his wife his son daniel and uh and he's one of my best friends now uh we could not have built our preschool without him uh, the bank said, we'll, we'll give you a loan of 900000 and the building was going to cost, you know, $1.2 So we're 300000 short. And this amazing man said, you know what? We're going to build this building <laughs> because I believe in your vision. And, and you, just, you just come up with a plan, and we'll take care of that 300000 once you get up and running and going. Now, here is a guy who is not in anyone's church. But he's an amazing guy. He's a good guy. But yet there's something about the church that kept him from being a part of. Now, I can tell you this from nearly four uh, decades of, of preaching. It's hard to get these these super saints to even be consistently to pay a tithe. And someone who will front three hundred thousand dollars to build a facility to serve in an economically challenged community. And all of these people I talk about in the book, one of the things they had in common is I'm not a part of a church. And if you dig deeper into that, you'll find out who wants to be a part of something that makes you always feel guilty and condemning you because, you know, uh, I may not line up exactly with the orthodoxies of the church. And, uh, and that's what we do in the hypocrisy of the church. We talk about those things, all the good people that we're losing. And, and we, we go into things in terms of um, just because you do wrong, it doesn't mean you're evil. Right. We talk about the difference. What is the difference between a wrongdoer and an evildoer? Yeah, and part of, part of yeah. your, as you make your defense, you have like an opening statement, there's <laughs> an argument, indictment. And uh, you, you use a lot of scripture, a lot of scripture throughout. Yes. I've read okay. part of the manuscript with, uh, with scripture you know, as part of your evidence. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that and also about taking off the mask. And, but I want to go back um, you know, one more time with you to about you know, six years ago when, when mm -hmm. all this kind of um, came about with you, know, you, you found, find out that you're having a, a son, a child out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what was your feeling? You know, as, as a, like you said, you've been a pastor for 30 something years. Was there a sense of, oh, no, or uh, did you immediately think, oh, I'm, I've got to tell my church and, and, and you feared about how they would react to that? Oh, <laughs> it, it was it was a sense of of all of those things, plus about a uh, hundred other things yeah. in terms of the humanity, in terms of, you know, the the same feelings that that any other person would feel if you take the title of pastor off a, a married man uh, fathering a child outside of his marriage all of those things all of those uh, things come the fear the disappointment uh, the people that you feel that you are going to hurt that you're going to let down and you go and so all the flood of things that runs through you but there's also another thing that that 
comes to you that won't allow you to stay in all of that fear, the reality of you can't change this. You, you can't undo this, you know. And, and I say that because that's another aspect of the hypocrisy I talk about, the hypocrisy of the church. The church, the church champion, uh, pro-life. Pro we, we vow that, that you ought to always choose life, no matter what the circumstances are. And so I chose life. There's not a thought, it, that, one thing that never happened. So whatever the consequences are gonna be, by the grace of God, and that the child is gonna, is gonna come. Yeah, on the front of the book, it says, I, I chose I my chose son. My son. Yeah. Because that, see, see, I agree with the church's position, but what I don't agree with the hypocrisy. Now you tell us to choose life on this. See, what do you think, you know, the circumstances are? You how, know, how that baby came. Yeah, from. yeah. These are challenges. Now you promise that you will pray for us. You will give us your support. But does that, does that mean if somebody else choose life? But what if it's your preacher? What if he found himself as I have in a situation just like this? under those same challenging, unfortunate circumstances, and you choose life. Now, what I want to know, hey, church, where's your support you promised? Yeah. <laughs> Was it, oh, you leaving the church now? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh you, you, you're not coming anymore? I, what, what about this? What, so, so you tell me to choose life. I choose life. Now that you chose life, I'm going to punish you because I'm leaving the church because I love you. Did you uh, was there like, did you talk to the church about, hey, hey, this is happening? Or how did it kind of all come out in terms of everybody? And then, and then everybody's reaction. Like some people, I'm sure, maybe were supportive. But like you said, there were a lot of like, like you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't like him anymore because he did this. No, everyone has their, their approach to things. And one of the things that I've always felt that being a pastor shouldn't take away certain rights that I ought to have like any other member. Sure. Privacy Absolutely. and opportunity to work things out. So I'm not getting up and making no public. And I asked the church, how many of y'all made a public announcement with me when your child, when your son uh, had a baby? I see you bringing your grandbabies to church and we love them. We don't, I never asked you, hey, what are the circumstances? Yeah. Was your, was your son married? I don't actually none of that. I don't. See, there are certain things that you think that, that a preacher ought to do. So I, I'm not quick to do that because there are certain things that I ought to be able to work out, ought to be able to sure. do those things. And so, but with the, with the environment, and this is another thing we talked about in the hypocrisy of the church. The church knows things before you get up and try to make an announcement. Sure, yeah. It's, it's, it's. I talk about, from one yeah, yes, to another. Yes, yeah. I talk about in the book, The Hypocrisy of the Church, that I wasn't afforded the same opportunities that any other parent was afforded. The privacy to write, the right to, to, to see my son being born without all the circus environment, um, the the time when he was about to be born, checked in and with the hospitals where it's private. If someone called the hospital, they shouldn't even know you're there and went through all of those things to, to try to make sure that that he wouldn't be born in those circumstances. My son was born on a Wednesday at 12, 12 noon. And um, about two hours later, I was getting text messages on my phone saying that we know you've you've uh, had a son you knew what hospital it was in they they one even told me the doctor that delivered him yeah. now so the HIPAA laws don't apply to me yeah. it didn't apply and so all of those things so so there was no there was no public announcement because it was already and that's one of the things about the chatter in the church church they gossip they, Yes, yes, and those things. But I made the decision, uh, and I write about that in the book, to put my son on the cover of the book with me. Right. Uh, and I thought about it and I debated it because for the first two years of his life, 
I shielded him from all of that. No pictures, no social media posts, none of that, because people had their own motive. It's just, I just want to see. I just want to. Sure. And, um, and I felt I needed to put him on it. So you can see when you're sitting around discussing and chattering and the gossiping that these are real, these are real people, real lives. And I want you to see him. I want you to, I want you to see his face. I want you to see he's a real child, real parents. We have real love for him. And, and maybe that will help you see the real life consequences of those things. Let's get back to this. Let's, let's get back to praying. And, and just trusting God. A woman was called in the act of adultery. And the Bible said the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought her along with a crowd. You know, for many years, I used to think the crowd, just people on the street, they just, no, these were, this crowd was being led by the church. They were going to stone her. They were going to stone her. And Jesus taught a lesson that we have long since forgotten. He that is among you without sin, let him cast the first stone. Now, he didn't say this because the woman committed adultery. Yeah. He didn't say he that is among you that hadn't committed adultery. No, no, he didn't say that. Yeah. Sin. He said sin. And so when he did that, he was actually saying, you may not have committed adultery, but you've committed sin. And he put this lady's sin on the same level. In other words, whatever it is that you did, is no better than what she did. And what she did is no worse than what you did. You see, this is how we inoculate ourselves. This is how we, we feel comfortable in hypocrisy and continue to stone and people is because we have to say, well, yours is worse than mine. I would never do that. And so now I feel comfortable. I can continue to condemn you I can continue to do those things unto you. And so, and so that's one of the things. And, and the end of that story, which I missed for many years, after they all dropped their stone, went away, and the scripture says they left him alone with the woman in the midst. So all the church folk left. The only two people were there was Jesus and that woman. Now, here's what I suggest. The way the story ended with just that woman and her sin and Jesus, because he was the only one in the crowd without sin. That's how it should have started. Yeah. Leave her alone and let her get in a place with her and Jesus and work out her sin, work out her challenge. But the church, the hypocrisy of the church that we address, the church feels as though I shouldn't have to leave you alone. Leave, leave her alone and let her work out her sin and her challenges with Jesus. And the outcome would be so much better. That's just like Zacchaeus we referenced earlier. When Jesus said, I'm going to go to your house, we're going to eat. Now, he didn't tell you to stop sinning, stop stealing because you're tax collector, you're, you're synonymous with a thief. He just said, I just want to hang out with you. And Zacchaeus on his own, he said, you know what? He said, he said, if I've taken, he said, half of my goods, I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone, he said, I'm going to restore unto them. Now, Jesus didn't ask him that. But what he did, he showed him love. He showed him compassion. He showed him kindness. And, and just that in itself was able, was the cause of a thief saying, I'm ready to make restitution. I'm ready. I'm ready to pay back. And so isn't that approach so much better? So where, where is this getting the church when you when you so harshly, when you so brutally treat people? It's, it's not really it's not. See, he would have lost that kids, but he he saved them. And, and when people make arguments against the church or why I don't go to church, or, you know, is it because of people being hypocritical? They act one way on a Sunday, it may be different <clears throat> Monday through Saturday, or they, you know, talk behind the backs, you know, mm -hmm. of what they wouldn't want to be said in public, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you knew that going in, sure. you, you knew that through 35 years of ministry, but, you know, being faced with your situation you faced, did sure. you, were you surprised 
by the, the vitriol or surprised by the reaction? Because, I mean, I'm sure as a pastor, maybe not a lot surprises you, mm-hmm. but um, because you've probably seen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but were you um, kind of taken aback by the reaction to what, what you were going through? Not taken back by you've been in when you've been in church as long as I you know that train is about to come your way <laughs> that that train you just have listen, experience listen about, yeah. you know that train is coming so when you talk about the initial reaction and all this and all of those things when you first found out that you were fathering uh, a child you fathered a child that's how your marriage and all of this and at some point you have to click in now all of that stuff it's going to be it's going to be whatever it's going to be. Sure. But now what's most important, first things first, you got to make sure your child is okay. You got to make sure this, so your mind kick into that. And, but at the same time, now that train is going to come. Sure. So how much, how much destruction it does. Uh, so we'll have to see about that. But in terms of, I learned this is, um, see hypocrisy. And, and, and it's, it's an eye-opening book because a lot of people will say that I don't go to church. Those church people, they're hypocrites. They're doing the same thing we're doing. Okay, I will agree with you to a degree uh, of this. See, hypocrisy is not that we go to church and still do wrong because you know what? That's a, that's a given. People in the church do wrong they come seeing itself uh paul talks about in roman uh we all have seen and come short of the glory and so so when he say we've come short we've seen coming short he, he associates sin coming short of the glory of god that that word sin it comes from an archery term you hurl that arrow at that target and sometimes it comes up short or sometimes it missed the mark and we all have come up short. We all have missed the mark. And so when you said people, church people, they say, of course we do. Mm-hmm. See, that's not hypocrisy. That's humanity yeah. that we're in church and we still sin. But the hypocrisy is not that we attend church and still sin. But the hypocrisy, what they're really saying is that we attend church and then we act like we don't sin. Because you will berate somebody, you will have this self-righteous indignation when someone do wrong, and that is the hypocrisy. Acting like we're better. Than we're acting like that. See, so it's not that the church people they sin. Well, that's humanity. I write about and I, I talk about my fitness journey on that. Um, is that sin is a nature problem? It's not a discipline problem. It's a nature problem. It's, it's, it's our nature. Paul said, I know that in me and in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul says, you know, he says, it, it's, it's a nature problem. And, and saying that's why God and Christ, he always treated sinners with so much love and compassion because he understands our nature. That there's an amazing, there, there is an amazing scripture that I think offset one that the church used as a stick. Fret not yourself because of evil doers or workers of iniquity. They shall soon be cut down and talk about uh, the, 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 the evil workers. You know, these shall be cut off from among you in the church. They associate all that with somebody saying they're doing wrong. And I ask, well, what is the difference? First of all, I say that scripture that we use as a stick, talk about evil doers and, and wicked, you know, and guess who wrote that? David. David wrote that scripture that the church beat sinners upside the head with David, you know, the guy who committed adultery, who who fathered a child, who had the woman's husband, Uriah, the Hittite, killed in battle. He wrote about evildoers and and workers (laughs) of iniquity. And so but but listen, but David did not see himself as an evildoer nor did God see him as an evildoer. Right. See, wrongdoer. he, that's it. He was a wrongdoer. Just because you do wrong, it doesn't mean you're evil. He's not, he's not an evildoer. He was a wrongdoer. God never saw him as an evildoer. Listen to what God said. And see, all these scriptures are in the hypocrisy of the church. What I did is this. I said, I'm going to give you everything I say to you. I'm going to give you scripture. 
and you can you can factor in the hermeneutic the hermeneutics the make sure it harmonizes with it i'm not cherry picking and you get the scripture <clears throat> and i challenge the church on this because god never saw david as an evil doer see because david said i once was young now i'm old since i'm old i never seen the righteous forsaken david said i don't because even though he wrote about the the in people of iniquity workers of iniquity evildoer he said i don't see myself as an evildoer nor did god when when solomon was praying david's son for god's presence god be with me let your hands be with me. just just god says okay i'll do it now listen what god says and it's in the book you have to get the book he says i'll do it but this is what you got to do solomon he says be like your father david he was a man who walked in integrity of heart and uprightness. I said, wow, wait a minute. Now, God told Solomon, be like your father, David. He was a man who walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness. Now, how many churches in Columbus will say that preacher who fathered a child outside of his marriage, and now don't forget, and then have the husband killed, is a man who walked in integrity and uprightness. I answered none, but God did. God, because, see, righteousness and integrity, see, the church has come up with, see, this is what we call integrity. This is what we call, see, I call integrity this, owning up to the fact, yes, that's my son. And not only do you own up, no, it's not mine. This is integrity, owning up to the fact that that's my son, giving him my first, middle, and last name with the two at the end of it. <laughs> making sure a roof is over his head, making sure he got health care, making sure, making sure that the government is not having to take care of what I produce. That's integrity. Integrity is that you know you're going to take a hit in terms of because of the environment, because of what you do, you, you have no idea of how this ultimately will turn out. But by the grace of God, we're so thankful that he's faithful. And, and, but yet in the midst, of, that's integrity. And so that's why God was able, see the church only see you for what you do wrong. And the reason God was able to tell Samuel, to, to tell Solomon, be like your father David, man of integrity. He walked in integrity of heart and uprightness because God sees us a whole lot different than church. And so I'm thankful. God says this, he says, I don't punish you all like, like I should for your sin. Sure. And he says, it says, because he remembereth that we are but dust. He says, I could, but then when I sit back and I remember what you're made of, yeah. you, 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 you're, you're humans. You, you have a sinful nature. He, and, and when he remembers that, what we're made of, and then he doesn't exact that heaviness on us. I shared with the church Sunday. I said, you know, my son is five year, years old. He's a big five. He's like four feet, uh, three, almost four inches at, at five years old. And he's very articulate. And sometimes, you know, I'm hard on him and I'm, and I'm just, you know, and then I have to step back. I said, wait a minute. I said, he's only five. Yeah. I said, he's still just a baby. And so as a father, you know, sometimes we get a little harder than mamas. And I step back. And then when I remember, you know, he's just a child. And see, that's the same thing God said he does with us. Yeah, he, said, he said, when I see y'all messing up, man, he said, he said, preacher, all these years you've been preaching. When I see you messing up, you know, you know what I can do to you for what you did. He said, but, but I thank God for that scripture yeah. when he remembereth that we are but dust. The problem with the church is that they forget what we are made of. Yeah. See, they, they forget that Elijah was an ordinary man subject to like passions, just as we are. Yeah, and we have, he, uh, yeah. we have free will, sure. um, and which part of that uh, is free will to ask for forgiveness sure. to, to God and maybe to other people. And, and, and for you, you know, you talk in the book about um, you know, being a pastor and, and going through this and 
um, being treated differently and you talk about the misconceptions of pastors mm-hmm. and the fact that everybody in the church including the pastor is not sure. perfect none sure. of us only jesus has been perfect sure. so do you um you know um think that so like if you're like a tv news anchor or a mm-hmm. pastor or even a teacher or a politician you know you're kind of in the public sphere and you get treated like you know you're kind of a public figure in a, in a sense you know so do you think that you get treated differently because of that and maybe you know you take more arrows because of that when something mm-hmm. happens fairly or unfairly well i think that goes with it that 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 goes with it um because of your position and 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 i acknowledge also there there's more responsibility that goes along with it to that degree but i don't go as far as the church want to go with it <laughs> you know and just like even even when you have like some of the celebrities and they talk about you know people argue well you know you you famous you and and even they would push back and say but you know what can i take my children to church yeah. without this can i so that means because of my position that i no longer have the dig the right to certain things see so there isn't see we have to keep a balance there and 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 all of those things it it makes you like these are the things that run through your mind like if i didn't know who i was and 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 the relationship i have with god it could have shaken me and i think of all the people who don't know all of these scriptures that i just told you see you can't say i don't have integrity because I'll show you scriptures where God said David got integrity of heart and, you know, he did a little bit more than what I did. You know, see, but the average person and many people who are listening to this podcast and will, will read the book, they will be reading that scripture for the first time. And they say, wow. What I try to do in the book is I put things side by side. I show you what the church will do and what what God says. I open up with my argument against the church with, with God's word. He says, he says, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. A lot of stuff, a lot of positions and attitudes that we have in the church is not according to knowledge. He says they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God but they've gone about to establish their own righteousness. So what he is saying is what I call righteousness, they don't accept. So in replace of what I call righteousness, they have come up with their own things. That's why that scripture, when I said they was men of integrity of heart, that's why it sounds so off to us. It sounds so off to us, not because it's off, but because we have been operating under the righteousness that the church has established and not the righteousness of God because we hadn't submitted to that. Like righteousness, that beautiful word righteousness, an easy way to understand what righteousness is. If you can just righteousness, right standing. See what righteousness is, that means I'm in right standing with God. That means my relationship with God is all right. See, that's what righteousness is. And so when the church tells you that you are not righteous, because of your wrongdoing and your sin. What they are saying is that we don't agree with God because God says my righteousness didn't come about from being perfect, but my righteousness came about because Jesus Christ, he paid the price. He made an atonement for me. And that that atonement, the shedding of the blood, the atonement is actually this, it's, it's reparation for wrongdoing. And that, that, that word, we may have heard of the word reparation. Reparation is payment for wrongdoing to make a relationship right. Yeah. That's why, you know, and this is a whole nother debate, certainly don't want to get into that. When America has done a certain group of people wrong, what they, what they say, if they want to make the relationship right, they says we're going to pay reparation. And so the reason we are paying reparation is because we want to make the relationship right again. And so the atonement is just that. Jesus said, I'll pay the price. What is the price to make man's relationship right with God for him to be righteous? It was his blood. He shed his blood 
So we are righteous, not by the works of the law, but we are righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ and the shedding of blood. So what the church says, when Jesus paid that price with his blood to make my relationship right with God, when I sin, when I do wrong, I call on the blood of Jesus, but the church is saying, you know what? That reparation payment that Jesus made with his blood, we don't think that's sufficient enough for you, Alan, but it is. See, he's paid the price for me. Yeah. See, but the church said, I know he died for your sin, but we want you to die also. So, yeah, speaking of that, what, you know, speaking of paying the price, did, what, how did that turn out in terms of did the church want you out and, and, and has there been healing since then over the course of years? I mean, what's what's kind of the, I guess, the end of the story or, or at least the current state of the story, I guess? Yeah, well, well, it's it's amazing. It's almost like a, a time of renaissance. It's, it's a rebirthing. And um, when we organize ministry, see, again, this is nearly, you know, four decades of being in the church, knowing about how church structures are. I went to this church when I was 23, got out of the military, got out of the army. And I learned early on about how church structure, you know, when you said, well, did they want you out? I wanted God to give me some insight when we organize ministry in terms of how it would flow. There are no, here is the mechanism, is that if I no longer believe in the church, the leadership is to a point where then my family and I, we have a right to find another church, find another leadership, which some did find that, um, but many did not. They chose to stay, they chose to be a part because their purpose for being there didn't hinge all upon the behavior of the preacher, but it was the work of the ministry. And I talk about that in the book, The Hypocrisy of the Church, is that one of the things is the hypocrisy is that you really don't care about the work if the behavior of the preacher alone will determine whether you'd be there. And, and we can kind of get into that. But the, the story is it's, it's a continuing story. Uh, God does things that um, you're unaware that he's doing it and why he's doing it. Our ministry is about more than preaching in a pulpit on Sunday. We have a pre-K where we take care of a hundred and some children every day. We have an elderly home where we take care of the elderly's assistant living facility. And we have a campus uh, in Hamilton. We have 134.5 acres and we operate a girls group home. Uh, these are girls, teenage girls in the foster care system. We contract with OPM, OPM, OPS, Office of uh, Provider Management, OPM, Office of Provider Management. And we take care of them. We so there are all kinds of amazing work that we're doing. So our work and our ministry is more outreach. Church and Sunday morning worship, that's certainly the component we worship. Um, but there are so many other things that are going on in ministry. And, and the irony in all of this is that we don't just depend on what goes on in church on Sunday morning. One of the things that I learned that when you try to make a statement regarding whether it be hypocrisy of the church or other things, you gotta be very careful with a lot of ministers because what can destroy a church, I guess, uh, what can cause a ministry to come to, to an end if you destabilize enough of the finances in the church, that's what people, they, they kind of use that as a string. But when that's just a small piece of your flow, so, so that gives you, and I'm trying not to be so practical in trying to explain this, <laughs> but that gives you, that gives you more, more time to allow people to come to terms with a lot of the things that I talk in the book, the hypocrisy of the church. Yeah. This is about more than that. And, um, and so we're in a really good place and I'm very excited uh, because in the midst of this, how does it affect you? Uh, it kind of takes some stuff out of you about church because even now when you hold the book up and you see the title, the hypocrisy of the church, first thing people want to know, well, are you still a part of the church? Oh yes, I love the church. Uh, but it's because of my love of the church. It's because, it's because of my call. It's because of the work that I'm doing. 
And it's because I want to see the church strong and I want to see it effective and I want to see it pull more people in than drive them out. Yeah. Can I just share this with you? I know I don't want to, but my daughter made a statement because we were, I don't type. I, I still do old fashioned where I just write. <laughs> and so my daughter, she typed every single word uh, of the manuscript sent to the editor, to the formatter. She did all of the typing. And so as we were at the counter for these past six, seven months, she made a statement that really hurt my heart. She said, Daddy, when I see how the church has treated you after all you've done, I don't think I want to be a part of it. That just really tore me up because I want my children to have the same benefit that I have because I know how my life is so much better and, and I'm so much more blessed because my mama took me to church and I, I, I got a relationship with God early on. And throughout all the challenges, the difficulties, what sustained me throughout all the years and certainly through this experience and these circumstances here is because of my relationship with God. And I want my daughter, I want my son to always be a part of the church. But, but if, if my child can make that statement, and the reason she said, because when all, I started pastoring, she was like about 10 months old. So all she ever seen was her daddy pastoring, always gone to church, at the church late at night. If you want to have getting something, some extracurricular activities, it can't be on a Wednesday night. It can't be on church days. It can't be. And she knows how you pretty much sacrifice everything for the church. And if they can do you like that because of what you did, she said, I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. And and so we're working on changing that mindset <laughs> changing that attitude. it's such a hot button issue like you were talking yeah. about just the name of the oh, yeah. of the book the hypocrisy of the church is gonna will, will get attention yeah. and uh and some people will maybe have a thought of what's this book about and yeah. like you said does does pastor allen does he still love the church is he still part of the church is you know what's the motivation here so i guess that's the question for you you know um why um come forward and be you know obviously mm -hmm. so vulnerable with your personal story and what happened to mm -hmm. you and and uh, you know the things that, that you went through and the church went through, but what is uh, what is the um, I guess the goal? What do you want people to get out of this book in terms of you know people that are maybe part of the church or not part of the church? Mm -hmm. Well, I've I've always been this kind of transparent kind of person. You know, I, so if you're part of our ministry, uh, one of the things they have were well, I like Reverend Allen. He keeps it real. That's our community lingo. He keeps it real. So I've always tried to be transparent. So the, the transparency, I've always tried to do that. But obviously, no one wants to lay themselves bare into that degree. But the reason in terms of that you lay things out is two-pronged. Number one, is that it's something that's much greater than you is, is driving you, which is your assignment from God. Because as you writing, like, why am I writing? Why, why am I going to tell all of this? Why? And, but, but it's for something that's bigger than me. I was beating myself up because I wanted to have this book written a few years ago. Um, and I realized why it couldn't have been written a few years ago, because there's a piece in the book the hypocrisy of the church, almost at the close before the final arguments, I took my son to a basketball camp. Didn't know the gentleman who was running the camp, but he's a well-known guy. He's been on this news, news broadcast and others. Each year he do this amazing basketball camp. And I took my son there and my best friend, he was one of the trainers. He was very good friends with the guy who ran the camp. So after the first day, all the trainers went to my friend's house and um, my friend had told him about my situation prior to the camp. So when he see me there with my son and he see that father being a father, encouraging his son, he sends a message to me by my friend. My friend said he had tears in his eyes and he said, tell your pastor how much he helped me 
seeing him bring his son to a basketball camp. That was the most insignificant kind of thing that I'm just going to a basketball camp. This is what dads do. They find a sport the kid like taking to camp. He said, tell him that, how much he did to me. And he explained to me that his father was a pastor, what well, is a pastor, who fathered him outside of his marriage. And all of his life, he never acknowledged him. He couldn't own him. He couldn't own up to that. He talked about all the basketball games he went to, his dad wasn't there, and all of, and to, to be a star basketball player at Auburn University, everybody knew him, to almost without for an injury, would have been in the National Basketball Association. This guy, he said, my father never, and he always associated that with the church. He said he'll never walk in the church there because what kind of place, this is what he associated with, what kind of place that wouldn't let my dad be a father? And he said, when I saw your pastor there with his son, knowing the circumstances, how he pastored a church, he fathered him outside of his marriage, but yet he's bringing his son. He hadn't been yet, but he told my friend, he said, tell him, I think I'm gonna come to his church. <laughs> he hadn't been yet. But that did so much to me. And I titled that, Some Things Are For a Greater Purpose. So however much discomfort it may be, embarrassment, or all of the other things that you can think of, sometimes some things are for a greater purpose. If the church choose to latch on sin and miss the greater purpose, that's what the church always do. They focus on the sin. A blind man born blind first, disciples won't know, well, who's sin, him or his parents? Jesus said, listen, it's not even about the sin. It's about a greater purpose that the glory of God may be revealed. And when I heard that story, that this well-known guy fathered fathers, pastors of church, and could not embrace him like I'm embracing my son. And that's why I said I chose my son. I chose to be at every basketball practice. I chose to be at every birthday. I chose to be, I chose my son. My son was only a year, almost two. We were in our living room that was invaded by his toys. And I'm sitting there, I just took off. I no longer went to the church during office hours. I said, for two years, I sat there with my son. I didn't put him in childcare. I sat there with him. And my wife, Angela and I, we have our wedding pictures on each end of this table. And we have a picture of my son, James. It's in a prominent area, a pretty bookshelf sitting up there. And I see that little boy walks over to the bookshelf where he, his picture is and he grabs it and he takes it over where Angela and my picture is and he placed it right there in the middle. I said, hey man, what you doing? I says, that's why you want your picture? And he came and stood between my legs and he was nodding his head not two years old, he knew that his picture didn't belong on the other side of the room. He belonged right there. Yeah. That gentleman that I told you run that basketball camp, he knew all along that he belonged with his dad, sure. but the church wouldn't let him because what the questions you asked and the things that you posed earlier, because he knew what would happen. Yeah. He knew what would happen. He knew the church response. And so he couldn't. Yeah. And when my son did that, it's a point just imagine. I realized then, when you think about what my son needed me to be his father more than I needed the people who decided to leave to be my members. Church to accept you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that that's everything that's that's every it's a wonderful story it's a wonderful story and what what i want to to come out of this is to start a discussion and the argument is to give consideration 
because they're honorable people like yourself. Uh, Dwayne talks highly, the Christian man that you are and all those things. If, if we don't get consideration for this argument about how people are being made to feel, also on that cover, there's a church. It's a dark, if you, it's, it's dark clouds over this little it's a church old, in California, I think I read. Bodie, Bodie, California. It's called Bodie Ghost Town. And um, it's an abandoned church in a ghost town sitting on the dark, ominous cloud. And my aim is, let's not let the church become the church that you see in the background of that, yeah. abandoned and vacant. We see after the COVID, talk to pastors all around. One thing can change life as we know it. And some of the things people are still suffering from now in terms of ministry wise is people coming back to church. Yeah. And so, so before, if I made the statement, you don't want it to become a ghost town, people brush you off now, that never happened. But we got some real life uh, examples of how quick it can happen. Yeah because they'll find other avenues, they'll find other areas. So if we don't address the hypocrisy of the church and how we are driving people off from that hypocrisy, that's what it'll end up being. Give people more reasons to go to church than to not to go, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> So, yes. and then, uh, you know, last thing, we've got just a few minutes left. Um, you know, this book's coming out Father's Day weekend. Yes, sir. Appropriately, obviously, because yeah. you talk all about how, you know, you chose to be his father yes. um, and knew kind of what arrows were going to fly yes. and, um, and, and kind of uh, let the chips fall where they may. So uh, Father's Day weekend. So where can people find the book? And, and, and um, I mean, is it, it's, it's a, um, I guess it's not really a self-help book or I guess it's a little of an autobiography along with just talking about the church in general. Yeah, we, it's, it's, uh, and it's certainly a, a help book. I don't know what, what adjective you want to put in front sure, of sure, the sure. help, but it's certainly that. Uh, well, you can go to our website, www.takingoffthemask.com, and uh, people are already, the demand is very, very great for it. They're pre-ordering. The release is going to be uh, this Sunday, and, uh, but they can go online, easy, easy checkout, give you some information about taking off the mask. Uh, what it means, what we're trying to accomplish with the book, and uh, and they can go and place the order now. Um, it will be released in terms of on Father's Day, and um, and my prayer is that they would uh, uh, listen to the arguments and to be open uh, in in regards to what we're laying out for them. And at the end of the day, at least read the word because this is not just someone saying what he thinks, what, what he feels, but it's, it's like a Bible study if you want, if, yeah. if you want to read something. There's if a you, lot. I mean, you, your, your arguments are laid out. It, it, is, uh, it, is, it is probably about uh, 300 scriptures. That, 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 that's, that's, that's my uh, method of preaching. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> is that you, you make a point, practical application, but you always have a word. If you're just saying things and you don't have the word to back it up, and that is, that is one of the things that you, you have to do. Um, and let's start treating people better because if, 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 we, don't, if we don't do that, uh, we are going to risk uh, harming a lot of people. And our market is not just, it's not, this is not really, it's about those people like that lady that they would have run off uh, at the banquet who was kissing the feet of Jesus. And those other people that have been turned off by the church. See, come, come back because I talk about a bright spot at the end of the book, The Hypocrisy yeah. of the Church, is how it addresses how we're doing now. We have some amazing people that every Sunday they come. We run three services. We have a, a North Satellite. We do an eight o'clock service um, on Casita Road. Um, we do um, a 9.30 service uh, on Veteran. And then we come back to Casita Road, 3645 Casita Road. And we're doing 11 o'clock. And so people are coming with, and many ministries are not at that place yet, but God has enabled us to, to rise above all of that and these amazing people. And so I make a call to the people. So not only do I love the church, now let me say that again, I said in front of me, do I love the church, but I want people to come back to the church because 
you do have an amazing bright spot, people who will not condemn you, who will not judge you. They'll love you, they'll pray for you, they'll encourage you. And, um, and they need to be in the house of God. So, and and yeah. the title of the book is, you're, you're definitely not sugarcoating it. You're not yes, beating sir. around the bush, you're yes, tiptoeing around. You're saying, hey, listen, we need to, we need to get serious about this mm -hmm. because it's for the future of the church and, and for his mm -hmm. kingdom. So well, thank you so much. Thank uh, you, sir. Uh, Reverend uh, James Allen, we uh, appreciate yes, it. And uh, hope you, uh, and wishing you a, a happy Father's Day. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate yeah. it. And we were talking about uh, some of the scripture and towards the back of his book uh, where it talks about his story and, and, and how he is still standing. Pastor James Allen, uh, you know, kind of you know, being very vulnerable and, and uh, you know, not just pointing fingers at the church, pointing fingers at himself and as all Christians that we need to do better about loving others and not just judging them for their sin. What I always say is, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. And you may, you know, um, disagree with how people live their lifestyle, but doesn't mean you have to hate them or judge them. That's that's God's job, right? In Romans eight twenty eight, it says, "And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose." And also in Romans in five eight, it says, "But God commandeth His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ." died for us because we're all sinners we all fall short but christ died for all of us not just for those of us who you know kind of have a little bit of sin or don't do, do the quote big sins so uh hopefully you get a chance to to read the book and to go out and buy it it'll be available you know for pre-sale and available on father's day weekend um, and hopefully it'll shed some light you know maybe not in a hopefully not too much of a negative way but you know talking about the church and what we can do better uh, in this short life that we have so uh, thank you again so much for joining us for the Run the Race podcast. I'm going to close now in prayer. Dear God, just thank you for this opportunity to talk about the church and be open with you know what we can do better as Christians, uh, as organizations, as churches, to open our doors and to love on people um, and and be bring forgiveness to people. And God, that we can ask forgiveness to you for all the sins that we do when we fall short uh, to, to of your glory, Lord God. And we just thank you for that grace that mercy that you provide to us on, on a daily basis, that we ask for that and then that we thank you for that and that we can give that grace and mercy to others uh, as, as your child as well. You name me pray. Amen. All right, everybody, I uh, appreciate it. And uh, we are kind of moving right along in the month of June, uh, summer, uh, I guess officially starting now, but uh, st definitely staying hot out there. Hopefully you're staying active uh, with your, uh, with your uh, Bible reading, church going, uh, running, exercising, playing sports, whatever you're doing. And uh, we're going to talk soon uh, about uh, um, streaks when it comes to uh, reading the Bible, when it, streaks when it comes to running, things that I do you know, in terms of discipline and determination, which beats out motivation anytime. I'm going to look forward to talking to you about that hopefully next week. And um, you know, give you some of my experiences uh, where uh, I've kind of had some ups and downs when it comes to uh, you know reading the Word and uh, trying to get out there and keep running even when I don't want to. So uh, until next time, y'all uh, be safe.